Welcome to 751. I'm your host, Carter Laren. This is episode nine, and we're going to talk about socialism today. Socialism is in the news again uh, lately, thanks to Jim Carrey. Not that it's really ever uh, left the news, but I want to talk about it because I think it's I think it's actually more dangerous uh, of a concept in, in modern America than Nazism is. And the reason for that, I, I know that sounds a little bit uh, hyperbolic, but you know we all know Nazism is bad. Yeah, there's some crazy Nazis uh, here and there, people with tiki tortures in North, uh, North Carolina. We see it in the news. But we all know that Nazism is bad, and so long as we remember that and oppose them, we'll be safe from Nazis. So although Nazism is horrible, I don't view Nazism as, a, as a, an imminent threat to the U.S. However, socialism is different because as a society, we don't recognize just how evil it is. Or we don't seem to anyway. And it's probably because uh, Marxists and uh, socialists have, have been dominating universities for decades, especially in the humanities. And, and as a result of that, when we go through university, we're largely fed propaganda rather than an objective analysis of socialism uh, and the facts. So I think as a result, we're more blind to the evils of socialism. Now, advocates for socialism uh, also have been becoming more bold, and, and obviously we're going to talk about the Jim Carrey appearance on uh, Bill Maher, but you know, in the past, they've avoided using the word while advocating socialist policies, right? So they'll advocate for socialist-type policies, but they would avoid using the word. Um, and they're starting to shy away from that more. Now, obviously, Bernie Sanders used used the term uh, democratic socialism, but so this is not the first time we've heard about it. Um, but this is one of the more bold statements. Jim Carrey said one of the more, more bold statements about socialism the other day, uh, and I think it's worth talking about. So he said on the Bill Maher show, he said, uh, we have to say yes to socialism, to the word and everything. We have to stop apologizing. So this is interesting. So he's he's really saying, hey, just knock it off with, with the um, vilification of the word socialism. It's just great and we need to embrace it. And he said more, but that, those, that was the core of his message. Now, if we're going to say yes to the word socialism as a society, we need to know what that word means. Now, a lot, of, a lot of people throw the word socialism around with the implication that it's about love and peace and caring for each other. Even Jim Carrey on, on the show said that Canadians were so nice, quote, because they have a government that cares about them. So there's this idea that socialism is all about caring, right? And this is where, you know, this is where the advocates for socialism need you to stop thinking. They need you to hear socialism is about caring. Let's not think too much further about that. End of argument, right? Don't, don't analyze it any further than that. It's just about caring. Let's be done and move on and advocate for socialism. Now, this could be true. I guess it depends on what you mean by caring. Now, if you mean feeling warm feelings about people, 
Um, if you mean crying at the images of injustice or poverty that you see on the news or wishing in some sort of vague spiritual way that other people thrive and do well, then you don't need to think any further to be caring because by that definition, you care. And it really doesn't matter what socialism is or is not. You can just care and you can be done. It doesn't matter to you how socialist countries have treated their citizens in the past or how well it's worked out in practice. The good, the bad, the ugly, it doesn't matter. You're done. You can say that you care by virtue of the chemicals that course through your veins and the ache in your heart every time you hear about the less fortunate. So congratulations. If that's the type of caring that you strive for, you can stop there. Socialism, or at least talking about it, is caring as far as you're concerned. But that kind of caring is ineffective. Actually, I would argue anti-caring. And ultimately, really doesn't, uh, doesn't yield the results that one would expect. There's another kind of caring, and this is the real caring. This other kind of caring isn't just about how you feel. It's about making decisions. It's about making decisions and taking actions that actually benefit people in the real world. Now, this is the kind of caring that causes you to give food to homeless people or donate your time helping victims of child abuse or to encourage your sister to vaccinate her children despite what Jenny McCarthy's very strong feelings are about it. Right? That's, that's caring. It's the actions and decisions that you take that actually benefit people in the real world. Now, to exercise this kind of caring in the real world to actually have an effect, you need to take the real world into account. You need to put aside any wishes or hopes or fantasies and need to face the world head on in a rational, logical way. You need to understand deeply the truth about a matter so that you can make the right decision. Not just the first decision that pops into your head, not the decision that makes you look caring in sound bites on national television or in pithy tweets. It might seem that caring uh, would be to tell an obese person, let's say there's an obese woman, there was a, a model recently, I think it was on the cover of Cosmopolitan, who was obese. And you might say that it's caring to tell her she should embrace her body just the way it is. Because after all, you're not a fat shamer. You care, right? But if you really cared, I mean, cared in a practical, real-world sense of the word and not in some childish fantasy, you'd do the uncomfortable thing, right? You'd tell her, hey, heart disease is the number one killer of women. You need to lose weight because you're literally killing yourself. This is serious. It doesn't mean you're less of a person. It doesn't mean anything else about your character. It's just, hey, you know, you're fat and that's dangerous. I'll help you diet. That's what caring is. If you cared, you'd care more about her and less about her feelings. And even less about how you're perceived by others. That's the kind of caring that's actually caring. That actually matters. And so, <clears throat> instead of just saying socialism is caring and leaving it at that without any further investigation, we have to actually analyze if we really care. We have to actually analyze what socialism is.
So let's let's actually care. Now, we can start someplace relatively simple. The dictionary. It's a good place to start. Now, I like to keep old copies of dictionaries around just so that I can see how words have changed over the years. And it doesn't mean that the old definition is more correct. It just, uh, it just means this is how society has, has thought about an idea and how it's evolved over time. So I'm first going to read you the definition of socialism from uh, a 1952 dictionary. And it says, uh, socialism is a theory or system of a social organization which aims at securing better distribution and more effective production of wealth by the vesting of the ownership and control of the means of production capital, land, etc., in the community as a whole. So that's, that's the 1952 dictionary definition of socialism. Now, a few points on this here. Uh, first of all, you know, socialists, Marxist socialists talk about this, this concept of the means of production. And usually when they talk about it, they mean like uh, they're thinking of a factory or uh, land or, or that kind of a thing. But ultimately, those things aren't really the means of production, and this is a point worth making. The means of production actually is the human mind. A piece of land is just a piece of land. It doesn't magically grow acres and acres of corn without the human mind. Now, yes, there's labor involved, absolutely, right? But without the human mind that the labor doesn't amount to anything, right? If you don't know what to do and you just plow randomly and move rocks around randomly and throw seeds around randomly and water randomly, you're not going to get agriculture. It's the invention of agriculture. It's the human mind that makes that land valuable if we're talking about farming. Similarly, factories don't just fall out of the, the air. They don't fall out of the sky and land somewhere. Someone has to design them. Someone has to think of them. Someone has to uh, put their hard-earned capital behind them and risk it. So all of that, those are, those are really productions of the mind, right? Turning a wrench in a factory, while important and necessary, right? You need to invent something, and then you actually need to build it. So they're both important aspects of production, absolutely. But turning the wrench can't be accomplished without knowing how to turn the wrench the right way to make a car or whatever it is, right? You, someone has to design the system whereby someone else can use brute force to manufacture something, right? Now, the person who's just thinking about the car, obviously, they don't have a car either. They need to actually build it. So both sides are very important. But the fundamental means of production is, is the human mind. That's where the genesis of this comes from, right? One person can conceive of and build something, slowly, but to do it more efficiently and to do it better, they employ other people in different areas of expertise, and that's how you end up with, with things like cars that are very complex. But the spark is the human mind. So really, the means of production is the human mind. Now, socialists never talk about that. Uh, they are talking about factories as if they just magically sprung up in nature. The other point about this definition is... Um, Actually, there's nothing wrong kind of philosophically with this kind of a system. Well, you, you could argue maybe philosophically, but from a practical political perspective, uh, if you'll notice, this definition didn't have the word government in it anywhere. It just said 
society's organized to kind of everyone communally owns the means of production. That's kind of what the definition said. Now, this kind of a definition of socialism could actually be accomplished in a capitalist free market society. Right? You could have a group of people who say, hey, voluntarily, we're going to go off, uh, we're going to buy this piece of land here, and we're going to go off and communally own everything, and we're not going to have private ownership. We're going to ag agree amongst each other voluntarily that this is what we want to do, and we're going to share everything and share alike. There's nothing, you know, in a free society, there's nothing preventing any group of people from practicing socialism in that sense. But in the 1952 dictionary, there is a definition for, in addition to socialism, there's a definition for something called state socialism. Now, this is the type of socialism people are talking about today. State socialism. The definition is socialism or any system of measures of socialistic character, especially for the benefit of the working class, established and directed by the existing state or government. So state socialism brings in this idea that it's not just voluntarily people getting together doing this, but the state enforcing it. And as soon as you have the state enforce it, what I said about socialism before no longer holds true. Right? In a free society, you could have a group of people go be socialists and, and there's nothing stopping them. No one, would, no one would stop them. They could go do that on their own. But as soon as it's state socialism and, and the state is enforcing social, socialism, the reverse isn't true. You can't have people opt out of the system and say, oh, we're going to, you know, I, I get that the state socialism, but my buddies and I, we're going to go be free market people amongst ourselves. So we don't want the output of your production and you don't get the output of our production. We're going to have property rights and, uh, and be a free society. We're just opting out. You can't opt out in state socialism. So, so that's the historical definition. Let's, let's move to the modern definition, which I'm getting from uh, the Merriam-Webster uh, website. So there are two definitions here of relevance. The first is, uh, the first definition for socialism is any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods, okay? So that's brought in this, this government concept that was in only the state socialism definition earlier. And the second relevant definition here actually has two parts. Um, it is a system of society, uh, sorry, a system of society or group living in which there is no private property. And a system or condition of society in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. So the takeaway here is that socialism at its core, right, is no private property and government ownership and control of means of production, right? So if you see that state, state socialism has kind of taken over the definition of socialism, <clears throat> and it means basically no private property, government ownership and control of the means of production. As I said before, Typically, socialists are thinking of the means of production in terms of factories and land and that kind of thing. Um, although an argu argument can be made that it's the mind. Now, philosophically, what socialism is is a form of collectivism, right? It, it means that <coughs> individuals are a means to an end, right? You, what you want, need, desire as an individual is not relevant compared to the collective. It's the, it's the group that matters. 
right? You produce something, you don't get to keep it. You don't get to decide how it's disposed of. It, it belongs to the group. Uh, that's collectivism, philosophically. So we need to ask ourselves now, so we understand socialism, but we have to contrast it with something to, to really get a picture of it. What is, socialism as opposed to what, right? What's the opposite of socialism? Well, the opposite would be private property. Instead of no private property, it would be private property. Instead of government ownership and control of the means of production, it would be private ownership and control over the means of production. So philosophically, the, the opposite of socialism or the opposite of collectivism is individualism. It's this idea that individuals are not a means to an end, but they're a means in and of themselves. Sorry, they're an end in and of themselves. So you could be a means as well, right? Individuals are an end in and of themselves. Now, this premise that individuals are, are their own, there's a sense of self-ownership and they're, the, they're, they're their own end, this premise is necessary if you're going to have a society that recognizes individual rights. Things like free speech, free assembly, free association. Right? You want all that stuff, presumably. Most people recognize the importance of that stuff. And that stuff presupposes this idea that individuals are sovereign in some sense and not, not just cogs in a collectivist machine. Right? Because if they're cogs in a collectivist machine, why should they have a right to say anything? or do anything. It's the, it's the collectivist machine that controls. But if they're individuals and the collectivist machine uh, doesn't exist and it's just individuals acting freely and voluntarily uh, with each other, then, then free speech, free assembly, all those rights, they matter. <coughs> all right, so I think that helps us get a better under understanding of what socialism actually is. Right? And, and if you really look at it, it's this collectivist idea of no private property in the government ownership and control of means of production as opposed to, like I said, private property and in, in individual rights. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. It, that's hard to sell. If you're a socialist and you're trying to sell that, that's hard to sell, especially in the United States, right? So it makes sense why advocates for socialism have been avoiding using the word up until now, right? Now, obviously, Jim Carrey thinks, hey, we don't have to avoid it anymore. We can just go out there and say it. But he doesn't think that completely. Uh, at least most celebrities don't. I don't know about Jim Carrey. But, you know, let's take them at their words. Let's assume that they want socialism, right? Because if we're going to take their advice, we have to assume that they're smart enough to know what the hell they're talking about. They're saying socialism. Okay, they want socialism. Let's take them at their word. They want socialism. Now, imagine if they want socialism how difficult that idea is to sell to Americans who, you know, for the most part, Americans still think of themselves as individuals with rights and possessing private property. Right? There's exceptions that we don't like, but for the most part, that's, that's how we view ourselves in our society. So how are you going to convince a society of people like this that socialism is a good idea, right? This no private property, government control, and ownership of the means of production. How do you convince a society of that? Well, maybe Mary Poppins can help, right? A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. So what you can do is you can add prefixes to the word socialism. Now, you got you to be careful with your prefixes, right? If you add the prefix national, then you get national socialism, which actually was Nazism. Uh, now, Nazism, it was, you know, obviously authoritarian, nationalistic. It had an ethnic angle to it. 
right? But it was fundamentally, it was still socialism. Now, socialists can argue it wasn't really socialism, and that's their argument for basically everyone who's ever claimed to be a socialist and run a country. All socialists today say, well, they weren't really socialists. Right? And it's the only way you can, can avoid looking at the negative consequences of socialism. But Nazism was socialism. Uh, it, was a, it was a version of socialism, thus the name, right? It, uh, you know, think of it this way. A bunch of private property owners working together voluntarily would not have invaded Poland and killed six million Jews, right? It took, it took government control of the means of production. It, it took socialism to give the authoritarian government that power. Okay, so they're not going to use the word national. That's a bad prefix. They're smart enough to not call it national so socialism. So what, what word can they pick that's the sugar that's going to help this medicine go down here? Well, they picked the word democratic. So democratic is a word that people tend to associate with what's just and good and fair and right. right? Most people think that the success of the U.S. is because it's democracy. Now, this happens to be false for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, it's not a democracy. Uh, second of all, it's not the democratic mechanisms in the U.S. that have been responsible for, for its success. I'll do another show on democracy at another time. But the word democracy has generally positive connotations. So that's a good, it also, coincidentally, since the socialists are coming out of the Democratic Party, hey, uh, democratic socialism just makes sense, right? It's coming from the Democratic Party, and people like the word democratic. Kind of, maybe it's the sugar that can help this medicine go down. So, so they've, they've been calling it democratic socialism. Now, after Jim Carrey uh, made his appearance on, on Bill Mayer, and he, he said we had to stop apologizing for socialism, the Washington Post made a video... I kind of want to call it an advertisement. <laughs> it looked more like an advertisement about democratic socialism. And this video starts with a bunch of celebrities asking, what is democratic socialism? Now, remember, Jim Carrey actually wasn't, didn't say democratic socialism, but the Washington Post, their job is to, to add that sugar, help this be digestible, all right? So we're going to talk about democratic socialism. We're going to add that word to it. So... The video starts with a bunch of celebrities asking, what is democratic socialism? And, of course, then they answer. And Susan Sarandon says, democratic socialism is your kids' public school. And another celebrity says, it's our public libraries and museums. And another one says, it's our national parks. Right? <clears throat> now, let's, let's pick that apart a, a minute here. So we're talking about public schools, public libraries and museums, national parks. Now, all of those are government institutions. That is true. And so you could argue that there's, some, there's something socialistic about those, and, and you would be right. But there's a, there's a fundamental difference in all of those cases here, uh, and there's something that needs to be noticed about all of them. So the difference is, in none of these cases is private ownership outlawed. So let's take schools, for example. You can still have private schools. It's not outlawed to have a private school. In fact... Private schools are better than public schools. In fact, I'll bet Susan Sarandon didn't send her children to public school or her grandchildren if she has them. I don't know about her personal status. 
But I'll bet you she didn't send her kids to public school. I bet she sent them to private school because it's better. So, yes, there is government school system. But private ownership of schools is not outlawed. It's just being competed with by the government. Right? They're just offering their own version, which does distort the market and make a whole, you know, it, it distorts the market and causes a whole bunch of problems. But it's not outright socialism because it is still allowed, right? It's socialistic in the sense that it's a large government kind of expanding into an area, but it's not socialism. Public libraries. Okay, well, again, you can have private libraries. Now, it's odd, right? Public libraries are, it's a funny example to use because they're obsolete. Uh, a private company, private companies have successfully replaced public libraries. I'm thinking of Google and Amazon, right? You can, you can basically get a library card, so to speak, for a, a nominal fee at Amazon and check books out, right? Uh, Google's got information about just about everything. Plus, they've, I think, scanned a, a lot of books that are available and put them online. I mean, there are, are a bunch of pub, are private companies who have outperformed the public libraries, right? So again, you're allowed to have a private library. And in fact, the private libraries, I would argue, are better. Although it does distort the market to have the government come in and produce a public library, it means that there's no incentive for anyone else to directly compete with that exact, uh, exact business model. Museums, another example, <coughs> all right? Uh, okay, well, you can have private museums, right? You don't have a lot of them. Most museums, I think, do get government funding, but okay, that doesn't make it socialism. It makes it, makes it what I would argue a, a government program that shouldn't exist, right? It's a wasteful government program, and it does distort the art market for sure, but it's not not really socialism you can still have a private museum national parks was the last example given okay so the government's got some land but anyone can have land and let people come on it now because there's so much government land there's really not an incentive for anyone to try and have a business letting people come camp on their land although there are private campgrounds and there are private hunting grounds so those do exist uh, in fact private hunting grounds are, are generally better maintained so Again, those things aren't outlawed. So they're not really socialism. Those are just things people like that the government does that we can argue they don't need to be doing. But they're not socialism. They also don't fit into the a narrowly defined category of means of production. Now, you know, in the classic socialist sense, again, if we're going to take a broader definition of means of production and, and I'm, I'm arguing that the means of production are, is actually the human mind, then... Uh, certainly, you know, everything would, would fit into that. But in kind of the narrow socialist uh, definition, the classical socialist definition of factories and, and that kind of thing, those things don't really fall into that category anyway. So it's not actually socialism. Private ownership is, is allowed for those things. So, so those, that's how the video starts, with those, those three celebrities coming out. And underneath it, there's this message that says the policies defining democratic socialism include Medicare for all and free college tuition. So, look, the, me the, the only message here, right, it's not anything about the essence of socialism, right? If they're going to have a message about the essence of socialism, it would be socialism means no private property and government control of the means of production. Like, that's actually an educational tidbit that they could include at the bottom of the video. But, of course, the Washington Post doesn't do that. Their message is 
hey, there's some freebies that are included in the definition of democratic socialism, right? Now, of course, they're not actually free. Someone has to do the work. Someone has to be a doctor and invent drugs. Someone has to teach people and build a university with lab space. You know, all of that stuff uh, isn't actually free. And anyone who gives it uh, a moment of thought realizes that that stuff comes from somewhere. And if you were, if you're not allowing there to be private doctors, which would be a socialist system and everything's socialized uh, in the, in the medicine field, then, uh, you know, you get kind of a different incentive system set up for those doctors, right? But, and in one sense, those doctors are kind of slaves, right? Because they they have to do, you know, they have to charge what you tell them to charge and do the procedures you tell them to do. And, you know, they're not free to just be a private practice doctor. <clears throat> I wouldn't say they're actually slaves, though. I don't want to make, I don't want to imply that it's equivalent to slavery. But, it's a larger percentage of slavery than, certainly than being free. So, so again, their message here on the bottom that they choose to say is socialism includes a lot of freebies. Now, I think there's something interesting here about the way that these advocates for socialism are approaching this. Now, in other socialist countries historically, you can take actually a modern example, Venezuela, right? You get the government like, regulates industry and regulates industry and regulates, and, and then it kind of regulates it to death, and then it's not working anymore, and then they seize the means of production, right? So they're kind of doing this. Government's kind of been doing this with healthcare in the U.S. for decades, right? They've made it more and more intrusive government regulation, and the more they've monkeyed with it, the worse it's gotten, right? And so now they can kind of point to it and say, look how broken it is, right? But th there's not a free market in medicine, so... Um, but now they're kind of positioning themselves to, hey, let's nationalize medicine, basically, right? But I think this, this democratic socialism is just socialism with a different battle plan. It's an interesting battle plan. Um, you know, instead of just regulating industry to distort it and then claiming that it's failed and nationalizing it, they will also distort it by competing directly, right? and running private competition in an industry out of business, right? So then there's actually, it's, it's a way of kind of seizing production by driving, driving the producers out of business through competing. Um, and, and again, the government has this tax base they can pull from, so the costs are hidden, so they can spend more money and be less efficient than a market solution competing, so to speak. But... Uh, ultimately, then when they go to take over the industry, there's not a lot of voices arguing because there's not a lot of private services there. So I'm wondering if democratic socialism is actually just this kind of different battle plan for, hey, instead of just regulating an industry to death and then taking it over, we'll compete with it and regulate. Um, and we'll kind of drive them down uh, in the market first. And then when we take over, it'll be a lot easier. So just a thought on what that battle plan is. Okay, so the video continues. So they've, they've said, hey, socialism is about freebies. Thanks, Washington Post, for that uh, <laughs> non sequitur. And, uh, and then the Bernie Sanders comes on. And he says, we cannot continue to have a government dominated by the billionaire class and a Congress that continues to work for the interests of the people on top while ignoring working families. Sorry, I can't do voices very well, but uh, that's Bernie, right? couple things to say about this. First, this working families phrase is Marxist bull, 
this is taken from the idea that the the only workers in society are the laborers with the muscles, right? And the owners who do the intellectual work, they sit back and do nothing. They just exploit the muscle guys, right? That's that's this idea, right? The only people that can possibly believe that idea are people who've never run a business. So I would advise you if you fall into that category and you really feel like there's a like those are the working families and the and the people in the offices doing the the back end stuff or doing the uh, maybe being the CEOs and the CFOs they're not working and they're not working families go start a company come back to me in a couple years let me know how that's going because no one can possibly have run a business and believe that right. It's the, it's the intellectual work that's responsible for the success of the company, ultimately, as I talked about before, right? The manual labor is necessary but not sufficient. Um, but the intellectual work is, is crucial, right? The intellectual work, there are fewer people who can do the intellectual work to run a company than there are people who can do the manual labor, which is why the prices for manual labor are less than the price for a CEO, right? So the wealthy work. Now, obviously, not all of them. Some of them are trust fund babies and blah, blah, blah. Some of them are, <clears throat> I don't know, senators from Vermont. Uh, the wealthy work, right? But this idea of this, you know, this proverbial factory owner wearing a top hat, smoking a cigar in the back, counting his stacks of money is ridiculous, right? That guy works his ass off. Incidentally, by the way, Marx never had a job. So uh, interesting, interesting that this guy who never had a job is 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 viewed by by socialists as an expert on <laughs> labor and capital and uh, how the economy works and how jobs work. So that's the first point about Bernie Sanders' comment here. The second point, though, and and the second point has to do with you know this part where he says the government's dominated by the billionaire class and a Congress that works for the interests of the people on top, right? Um. And to that, I would say he's actually right. Bernie is right about that. There's a lot of big money that's tied very closely to the government, and it does distort government activities. Absolutely. It is corrupt. But again, if we're going to be actually caring, we don't just say, oh, there's money in big government, therefore socialism. We ask, Why? Right? We dig deeper. We use our brains because we actually want to care in reality and have real results. So we ask ourselves the question, gee, why is big money tied very closely to government? Why is there this corruption? And that's, that's a really interesting question. Now, I've got a couple answers on my own, but something you should think about as well. One answer I have is that government power, by its nature, creates an environment uh, and incentive for corruption. And here's why. If you imagine a government with very little power, well, there's not much use in trying to bribe senators or lobby because they can't do much anyway, right? But if you imagine a government that has its fingers in everything, it can regulate every industry, it can put your competitor out of business, it can put you out of business, right? Suddenly you're kind of obligated to spend money lobbying and trying to get, you know, trying to bribe people. You, you're, 
it sets up this incentive where it's worth it. It's worth spending money and time and effort to wine and dine these people and, and bribe them and, and do all this kind of stuff because they have power. But in a small government, in a limited government, there's not much power. And when there's not much power, there's no reason to, to try and corrupt that power because no one cares. Right? So that's the first thing that I would notice is that massive governments tend to be more corrupt. And you know, you look at this, look at the giant governments around the world. They're corrupt. Right? Uh, the Soviet Union, a prime example of, of a government that was, was corrupt. The second answer I, I came up with as thinking about why, and there may be more answers, is <coughs> the basically the Federal Reserve, right? Money is so heavily controlled by the government in the U.S. Uh, that there is almost an oligarchical relationship between big banks and big government. Right? You don't have to look any further than the bailouts to see that. Now, this relationship is dirty, right? It's the people at the top, they get, uh, they get access to uh, financial transactions and instruments that you and I don't, and they exploit them. And they make a lot of money, and then they get bailed out when they screw up. So that is a real issue, right? Now, if Bernie really cared here, though, he, he would be calling for an end uh, of the Fed, or at least an audit, or he would be talking about the Federal Reserve System. He would be talking about this relationship between banks and the government and why it exists and what the foundation of that relationship it is, is and, and how it works, right? Ron Paul did this, right? This is what Ron Paul talked about, auditing the Fed and, and ending the Fed eventually. But does Bernie Sanders talk about this? No, of course not. Right? So he's not, he's not trying to get at the why. Right? He's just using these as talking points to argue for socialism. Now, the implication here is that socialism, again, this is the government ownership of means of production, right? Outlawing private property. The implication here is that socialism would somehow end corruption and be good for the poor. Right? That's what he's implying uh, when he calls himself a democratic socialist and says things like this. Now, even if it did those things, it would still be wrong, right? Because people do have rights. You have a right to your, your property, right? You have a right to your life. You have individual rights. So collectivism would be wrong anyway. But as it happens, the antidote to poverty and the things that Bernie cares about or supposedly cares about, the antidote to those things is the opposite of socialism. It's capitalism. It's private property. It's individual rights. And we already know this historically, right? You do a cursory glance. Look at the, the capitalist nations and the non-capitalist nations. Look at the, the decline in poverty since capitalism, right? I mean, you know, if you're in the U.S. right now and you're poor in the U.S., chances are you're rich, you know, on a global level. You know, so actual socialist countries are horrible for people. And they have been horrible historically. Now, you know, advocates for socialism, they do two things. So w one is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, they always make some argument for why some socialist system failed in the past. Well, it was the wrong leaders, or they didn't do it exactly right this way, or that wasn't real socialism or whatever. But these are people who, who you know, the, the people who, who led these countries to failure, 
understood socialism. They talked about it. In fact, in many cases, in Venezuela's case, they were praised by modern-day socialists for implementing socialism. But suddenly, when they fail, these modern-day socialists turn their back on those countries and say, well, that wasn't really socialism, right? So they do that. The other thing they do is they cite examples of mixed-economy countries with social programs that they want, right? Canada, right? And they say, see, socialism works, right? This is kind of what Jim Carrey was saying. But these countries have their wealth not because of socialism. They have it because of private property. Right? And historically, when these countries have started to run out of money and things have gotten bad, they've uh, reduced their government spending, you know, you know, made that government smaller and allowed the, the free market to operate a little bit more, and voila, more gains that they could then take and spend on their social programs. So you know, the idea that these countries are socialist is, is just false. Now, I wouldn't advocate for these social programs anyway. But if all if all Bernie Sanders and Jim Carrey and these people want if all they want is these social programs, then that's what they should say. But we should we should believe them when they say they want socialism. So anyway, <coughs> the video then uh goes on. It kind of ends with this uh, text underneath that says, here are four celebrities who support democratic socialism. And they cite four celebrities, right? Uh, Jim Carrey is, is the first one. And the quote they have, they have him, they have a clip of him saying, I grew up in Canada, okay? We have socialized medicine. And I am, I'm here to tell you that this bull line that you get on all the political shows from people is that it's a failure, the system is a failure in Canada. It is not a failure in Canada. We have to say yes to socialism, to the word and everything. So that was uh, that's the main feature of this is Jim Carrey. And a couple points here. Look, first of all, Jim Carrey isn't living in Canada. He's old. I don't know when the last time he lived in Canada is. But um, he also has no real health care concerns himself, right? He's rich. He can go anywhere in the world on a private jet to get the health care he needs. So... You know, he says uh, healthcare is great. He never had to wait in any lines. I know people who have had to flee Canada to get life-saving treatment because the lines were, the wait was so long that months and months and months that they may have died had they not left to get healthcare elsewhere. But these things are just anecdotes, right? They're not arguments. Like Jim Carrey can say, I know someone who thinks it's great, and I can say, I know someone who thinks it's horrible. Anecdotes aren't arguments. Right. What I will say generally is that, look, socialized medicine leads to higher prices and less innovation. Now, how are the prices higher? Because it seems free. Well, they're just hidden. Right. This is the, the, the trick that socialists use all the time when they talk about free education or free health care, free this or free that. It's never free. It's just that you don't see the cost. It's always more expensive, right? You just don't see the cost. Um, so, but how do I know, how do I claim to know that socialized medicine will lead to higher prices and, and less innovation, higher costs? Well, it's been true in every other industry and there's a fundamental reason for it. In a free market, you have voluntary interactions with people. 
And that means if you're going to run a business, again, most of these people that make these arguments should just never run a business. If you're going to run a business, you need to focus on your customer. Running a business requires understanding what your customer wants and finding an efficient way to provide it to them. Now, that's true across industries. It doesn't matter if you're making iPhones or, you know, you're a doctor or drugs or whatever you're making. Customer focus is important. Now, obviously, you can have companies come along that don't do a great job and they might survive for a little while, but ultimately, customer focus is what drives companies to provide what people need and want. And if you don't have good customer focus, you will eventually die as a company. So I know you'll have less innovation and higher costs because you don't have the customer focus. As soon as you have socialized medicine, you don't have that feedback mechanism of prices and demand and supply that you have in the free market. And so all of your decisions about what to do have to come from uh, committees or surveys or guesses or whatever. You don't have the beautiful thing called price, which is this instantaneous transmission of information about what the market wants at a given time. So you're not going to get innovation as much. And it's going to be less efficient because that's always true, right? And actually, there's an example here. Rand Paul's talked about this example. LASIK prices. LASIK is not regulated like the rest of healthcare. Uh, so it's more free market than the rest of the healthcare industry. And while healthcare costs have gone up everywhere and everyone's complaining and it's a big crisis, LASIK prices have gone down by three quarters over the last 15 years. That's what free market healthcare looks like. Another point on Jim Carrey's argument here, look, socialized medicine is socialist in its origins, but it's not the same as advocating for socialism generally, right? So he can, even if the system in Canada was great, that doesn't mean we should want socialism generally in the U.S., which is what he's arguing for. The next celebrity of the four that support socialism is Danny DeVito. Um, and he, he just, the only thing of substance he says here, uh, aside from calling Bernie Sanders Obi-Wan Kenobi, is he says, researchers and scientists paid with our taxes. That, that's literally the quote. Now, he doesn't say any, anything about them paid with our taxes. He just says they're paid with, some of them, I guess, are paid with our taxes. Uh, that's obviously not an argument for socialism, um, but I hear similar arguments like this all the time, and it's, it's, a, it's a stupid argument, and so we need to break it down here just for a moment. Look, you could steal money from someone at gunpoint and then fund things with it, and some of those things might have positive results. That doesn't mean it's a good idea to go steal money at gunpoint from people and fund random things. Of course, some things are successful. We spend so much money on research and scientists with government dollars, I would hope that some things are successful. But what you don't see, again, which I referenced before, is the hidden cost. Right? You take a dollar out of the economy, you, where, where, it, where that capital is allocated efficiently, you take that dollar out, you give it to the government, they take off a chunk of it just to run it through their administrative system, let's say 40, 50%, it's probably high. Right? And they decide to fund someone's research somewhere. 
research that probably the free market didn't really want to fund, or else they wouldn't be asking for a grant. And we don't know what the free market would have done because that also distorts the research market. Right? So if you're a large corporation, uh, let's say you're Merck and you're working on a drug, well, maybe you're going to not do some other fundamental research you would have done otherwise and not spend that money because the government's already doing some fundamental research in some other area for you. They're stealing other people's money and giving it to, to people to do research. So the fact that some things come out of tax money does not justify tax money. Uh, and it's, it's such a stupid, stupid argument. I don't know why anyone falls for it, and I have no idea why Danny DeVito thinks that it's in any kind of an argument. It's just moronic. So, you know, yes, tax money is, is spent on, on research sometimes. Big, big whoop. That's, that's, those are high taxes. That's not socialism. Okay, the next, the next uh, celebrity is Mark Ruffalo, and they share a tweet by him where he says, Democratic socialism says it's a moral wrong that 50% of income is going to the top 1%. Universal health care, medical, and family paid leave. Okay, so... He advocates a couple programs, universal health care, medical, and family paid leave. Okay, again, those aren't uh, they're socialist programs, but you know, that's, that's not – it's like, hey, here's the sh- – you know, yeah, I don't know how to say. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's what the Washington Post did. Here are some shiny features of socialism, right? but the, 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 they lose their luster very quickly if socialism is actually implemented. But anyway, you know – the thing that bothers me most about the Mark Ruffalo tweet is this concept. He, he says income is going to the top 1%. Now, this is such a weird collectivist statement. It's so backwards, right? Income doesn't just go somewhere. There's no such thing as the income, right? Mark, the income you make from your movies isn't going to me enough, right? I mean, there's no such thing as the income. It doesn't go anywhere. Income is generated. It is earned. It's generated by individuals being productive. Mark gets paid for doing a movie. He generates the income. Now, he is free to take that income and give me some of it or pay more taxes and give away his money until he his until his income is equal to the mean income in the U.S. or the world. But he's not going to do that. Because fundamentally, he knows that his income is his income. He just wants to virtue signal and show that, oh, well, income is going to these top 1%. Well, you know, he could do his part to stop that by instead of, you know, tweeting platitudes, he could give his money away. But he's probably, I I doubt he's going to do that. Right. Uh, another quick point that I forgot to mention earlier, uh, I talked about taxing money out of the economy and and uh, and then using it to fund scientists or whatever. I'll probably do another presentation on this a different time, but the idea that money sitting in a bank account is the same as money sitting under a mattress and not doing anything for the economy is completely wrong. And so even if a wealthy person does nothing but leave their money in the bank account, uh, they are helping the economy massively. And I can explain that in depth a little bit more in another presentation, but this idea that that money is the same as money that's just sitting under a mattress that's out of the system is completely false. So 
I, you got to take that into account also when, when, when Danny DeVito talks about tax money, right? That money is money that's taken out of the economy. And actually, because of fractional reserve banking, he's, it's actually more than the dollar is taken out because they can no longer lend against it. Separate issue. Okay. Last celebrity here, Sarah Silverman. <laughs> and they have a, a clip of her saying, so this is where you scream, but he's a socialist. Yeah, he's a socialist Democrat. Now, let me explain what that is. This ought to be good, right? This is her explanation. He's a Democrat. He just believes that people who don't have the same advantages as you and me should be given the same advantages as you and me. Good Lord. Right? That's her clip. Right? So it's not actually clear that she's supporting socialism or if she just thinks that, you know, all Democrats are socialists. I don't know exactly what she means by let me explain that to you. He's a Democrat. I think the implication is that all Democrats are socialists. But, uh, you know, the, the vibe you get this get from this, this clip here from Sarah Silverman is, eh, relax. Socialism is just about giving everyone the same advantages. Calm down, people. Good Lord. It's just about giving everyone the same advantages, right? Well, if you think about this for a little bit, you would realize that that's actually impossible. Right. First of all, people have differing innate talents, biochemistry, right? Steph Curry, I would never be able to compete with Steph Curry, right? You can't in ba on the basketball court, right? I can't have the same advantage as Steph Curry unless you want to cut his legs off. He'd probably still beat me, but you know, maybe I'd have a fair shot, right? You can't you can't give everyone the same advantages. People are born differently. We celebrate those differences. You know, I'm better at cryptography than Steph Curry is. And Steph Curry is better at basketball. Turns out basketball pays more if you're the best at it. I guess maybe if I was the best cryptographer. No, I think, think they would still get paid more to play basketball. So, okay, people are different. I thought we were supposed to embrace diversity. We all have different advantages. Not all of us are going to be Steph Curry. And only envy makes that a problem for you. I'm not envious of Steph Curry. I couldn't do what he's doing. I'm not envious. Now, this idea also, she says, that we, they should be given the same advantages, right? You know, I'm, I proposed one way, cut off Steph Curry's legs. They never talk about how to do that, right? They just say, well, everyone should be given the same advantages, right? But if you ask how, I, I never hear how. How? How? I would like Sarah Silverman's income, probably. Now, I, I think she earned it. And she probably had disadvantages I didn't have. She may have had advantages I didn't have. But those are hers. And their answer always, really, even though they don't talk about it, is, you know, if they're advocating for socialism, their answer to how do you give everyone the same advantages, their answer is abolish private property. Because remember, that's what socialism is. It's the abolition of private property. So when she's advocating for socialism and saying, well, all we want to do is give people the same advantages, the implication here is, Oh, 
our our how is to abolish private property. That's how we're going to do it. Now, I guess you can think that's a good idea, but it's a horrible idea. So the dirty secret is that's what socialism is, and that's what they're actually advocating. And of course, that wouldn't really create anything. I mean, you know, the 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 only way you get a level level playing field is by dragging everyone down. You can't you can't prop people up magically. So the message here from this video is basically, don't worry. It's not socialism. <laughs> don't worry. It's not socialism. It's democratic socialism. But they, they never really explained in the video how that's different from socialism, right? All they do is talk about feel-good things. Hey, there's some free this. There's some free that, right? But they only feel good to you if you agree to not ask why, to not look deeper, to not ask how. If you don't ask any questions, it feels good. Now, placing a feel-good adjective like democratic in front of the word socialism doesn't magically transform socialism from a collectivist system based on outlawing private property to a free system based on individual rights. Right? It's just a way to rationalize the convenient, irresponsible version of caring that I spoke about earlier. Right? It's the kind of caring that doesn't bother to think about what words actually mean or what kind of society you're actually advocating for. It's the kind of caring that results in stagnation of innovation and progress, mass starvation, and eventual societal collapse. Right? But hey, at least your so-called progressive friends uh, can like your tweets and maybe they'll, maybe they'll let you stay at their camp at Burning Man. That's the kind of caring that it is. Socialism is poison. Calling it democratic poison or delicious poison or gourmet poison doesn't change the fact that if you drink it, it will kill you. It's time to stop pretending to care and actually care. You do that by using your brain. Stand up for private property and individual rights. Stop pretending that socialism is somehow okay. You may lose some friends. You may not get invited to celebrity parties. But you may also save the country. All right. Thanks for listening and or, or watching. Not much to watch in this episode. Please visit 751.com. That's 751, all spelled out, S-E-V-E-N-F-I-F-T-Y-O-N-E.com slash subscribe, or just go there, and there's ways to like, share, subscribe, uh, support the show. You can go to patreon.com slash unsafe space. Yep, unsafe space. Uh, and you can go to 751.com and support the show through cryptocurrency. But please, whatever you do, like, share, and give me some feedback. I'm trying to build an audience, still very early, but I'd love to hear your feedback. So comment, post, and share. Thanks again.